story time. I was struggling with how to handle my anger well. My husband would say something to me that, while not truly the same, felt too similar to things said to me when I was young. Sometimes it wasn't even what he said, but how he said it, or the expression on his face when he spoke. Opposite of how I responded as a child, which was to completely shut down and crawl inside of myself, I flipped out instead. As I learned how to respond to my anger, I realized that underneath I had been triggered, and there were steps I could take to calm myself down, reminding myself that this situation was not the same. I was safe, and I had the opportunity to be different than what had been modeled for me most of my life. Mary Ellen Mann holds a wealth of information about this area of triggers. She is a survivor of sexual trauma and a licensed psychotherapist, running her outpatient private practice for nearly 25 years in Colorado. She has dedicated her life to helping victims find voice and confidence in her therapy and in her training of advocates in the United States and elsewhere. In her passion to prevent childhood sexual abuse, she is also a trained and certified facilitator with Darkness to Light. Mary Ellen has an advanced degree from Columbia University and is an active believer in Jesus. She lives in Denver with her loving husband and sons. To learn more about her approach and experience, please find her website linked in the show notes. There you will find more information about resources she uses in her psychotherapy practice, along with information about abuse and trauma as it relates to interpersonal and organizational abuse. So Mary Ellen, welcome. And I want to jump right in and get us started by defining and offering clarification on a very popular word that we're hearing Mm -hmm. often right now. Would you please give us some background? What is a trigger? So a trigger is something that happens in the environment. It could be a smell, a taste, uh, an object that we're looking at, an experience we're having with another person. And the trigger is going to basically kind of automatically move us into an anxious spot. So I would suggest like we have healthy anxiety and then we can have distorted anxiety. Now, the big idea though, just, just anatomically speaking is that anxiety is going to push, you know, us into a fight flight freeze and then a new F word, not a bad word, uh, but a new F word is fawning. And so to explain that, like, so we get it combative as our fight, or we get really like, what did you mean by that? Or what were you thinking? Or we can kind of get into a blaming space and be again, combative. Uh, the flight is avoidant. Um, just, you know, I won't ever talk to that person again. I won't ever go to that place again. I'll never talk about that again. Well, I just will do whatever I can to avoid ever thinking about that again. And the frozen is just feeling numb or doing things that are numbing so that our body is, if you will, kind of developing an anesthetized feeling to ward off the anxiety and the sense of threat and danger. And the fawning is the kind of the active, it's a very endorsed reaction that we have, like serve everybody, accommodate everybody, say yes, not no, don't offend, don't set limit, make sure you are people pleasing. 
Maybe even rescuing is a fawning mode. Um, Making excuses for people is a fawning mode. So we have those four Fs that define the body's experience of a trigger, but a trigger can be anything that can unconsciously or, you know, consciously earmark an event where we felt threatened. So a trigger can be traffic, you know, being stuck in traffic. It can be someone cuts me off, you know, while I'm driving. It could be um, smelling, you know, someone's cologne and remembering just that sense of threat from a historical event. It could be a Bible verse. It could be a song. It could be a joke someone thinks they're making that's just a super casual experience. And then they're saying words like chick and whore or, you know, and all of a sudden we're just like pulled into a high anxiety space. It could be a way we are touched or not touched. There could be, you know, a trigger in the sense like we feel confused or gaslit, which is a, we feel like I was trying to say something and now the person is like making me feel crazy. So that can be a trigger. So that's a dynamic trigger, like between people. Yeah. It could be a sense of pain in the body or a doctor's appointment, you know, where we're having to get evaluated for something dental or say, you know, an annual exam. Um, so we are triggered because our body is kind of re-experiencing vulnerability at some level. Absolutely. I, I'm so fascinated by this topic personally. Um, and partially the reason is because I've noticed changes in my own self and how I respond to triggers. And I've been thinking through, is it more related to my own process, like continued healing in my journey where I'm changing. And so therefore the way I respond to a trigger is changing or does the way I respond to a trigger sometimes depend on the person who's triggering me and how I respond Mm -hmm. to that specific individual. And it's something I have curiosity around. Would you be able to speak to that a little bit? If you're changing like, so um, yes, I, I can tell you that people have told me I used to not be this, they'll say sensitive to this problem. And now I'm so sensitive and they feel like it's a regression, but it's actually your body is somehow experiencing like the permission. Maybe you're an adult, you have more choices. Maybe your life is safer. And so what happens when we get more, if you will, triggered, we're not really regressing as much as we're moving past the idea that we're stuck, trapped, cannot speak, silenced, have to be numb, have to accommodate all of those things. And so we're getting more real, right? Like we're getting more congruent and congruency just simply, and probably a lot of your listeners already know what this means, but congruency is just my insights really do flesh out and match my outsides. So that joke is now not funny, you know, and I'm in touch with that joke is, offensive to me. So sometimes when we're shifting, like back when I'm 18, that joke would not have offended me. Now I'm 35 and that joke offends me. Back when I'm 16, traffic doesn't bother me. But now that I'm 40, traffic really bothers me. So it's Mm -hmm. not a regression as much as it is your body feeling the permission to show you how much you've had an embedded, you know, stress and trauma and sense of threat. 
So there's that. I think also that can include, like you mentioned at the end, the dynamic, like someone is now talking to me. I feel more sensitive to the, say a a pastor. I feel more sensitive to someone in authority. I feel more sensitive to say an old friend. This happens a lot. Like people will come to me and they're like, I feel like I can't tolerate, excuse me, my old, my friendships I developed when I was in a more traumatized state. So those friendships were used to maybe laughing at you or, and you kind of let them. And now you're like, I don't want you laughing at me. (laughs) I don't, I don't Mm want to feel this way. I don't want to feel subjected or dominated. There can be a shift. It feels like I'm getting more sensitive. So I'm breaking and I'm air quoting all that, but it's actually not a regression. It's a progression of your body noticing problems and things that are in fact, not okay with you, whether they're an actual, we say not okay as it's really threatening or it's not okay. As in my, my values have really changed. And I feel like I can hold my values forward and really pay attention to myself. Now, my encouragement is that that sensitivity is a part of progression um, oftentimes. And the world says, don't be sensitive, just fuck up and be, be okay. But I think we're seeing a lot of things, even with sports figures and such that we herald as people who are super tough saying, yeah, I, I'm capable, but it isn't safe and it isn't going to work. And it's okay to not be okay with that. And the world I think is shifting into, it's okay to not be okay. And to, to actually live in the, in the experience you're having and honor it. Um, and when we honor it, we tend to get well, <laughs> it's a wonderful event. So anyway, just want to offer that encouragement. Yes. That and when you say it that, yes. And when you say it that way, of course, it sounds so common sense, but it's, it's a lot easier. It's one of those easier said than done things, right? Oh Yeah. Maybe. There's so much pressure. Yeah. There's so much pressure from culture to perform. And when we're talking about people who have had various kinds of abuse and more specifically in this context, various kinds of abuse under that umbrella of religious or spiritual abuse, um, they're being pressured to perform in a certain way. And they're being told to do this, or there can be even up to eternal consequences that they're being told will happen in their lives. And so to break out of that pressure to perform, what a deep, deep, overwhelming threat. Yes. So for them to come forward and say, "Mm -mm, I'm going to bank on and take this risk that I'm not going to let that I'm not going to feel okay about that anymore. I mean, that is, that is the ultimate act of courage. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And something else that you made me think of while you were speaking and summarizing that so well is I realized, gosh, this was probably like five or six years ago. I was in this environment, Mm -hmm. um, for my job. So I was Mm -hmm. in this work Mm -hmm. environment Mm -hmm. with a supervisor figure who oftentimes would trigger me with similarities of my, my home environment. So okay. just the way this person supervised, uh, I, yeah. I was reminded of my father and I, interestingly, I responded then in the same way, mm. which, which that makes sense to me. I responded yes, in the sure. same way. Yeah, of course, yeah. And so I would kind of cower because that's that person provided something I needed to me. 
So that person was provide, like I needed that income. I needed that. I wanted that financial security, that job security. I also loved what I was doing. And so I was like, well, this person is kind of has something over me. So I'm going to cower. I'm not going to assert. Now, fortunately, I learned how to assert through that process. It was an incredible learning experience for me, Mm. growth and healing experience. But I realized when that was happening, anytime at home, my husband would do something that really wasn't that triggering in and of itself, but maybe mm-hmm. alluded to that supervisor that, you know, there's almost like this mm-hmm. thing happening. Mm-hmm. I would fight like mm-hmm. all out fight. And it was such an mm-hmm. over response. Mm-hmm. And so something that I found interesting through that learning process and being able to reflect on it is we can also respond to different people differently, even if they are similarly triggering us based on what power we think we've deemed that they have in that. Well said. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I call that having like a level 10 response to a level four problem. Yep. Usually that spousal dynamic is more mutual you're co-resourcing, right? So ideally, or, you know, and, and all the, the complications of, of what that can be defined as. So people will feel the freedom to finally fight, to finally say, are you kidding me? No way. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and it's not level 10 response because there's no real pain. I'm not saying that but it's safer for that level 10 pain to emerge and get out. So it's the problem is I'm not, I'm not suggesting it's not real within the person. It is a level 10 pain, but the actual event is a level four problem, you know, just, just as a matter of putting it to numbers tend to help me. So 10 is a high distress number, you know, it's like a pain scale. You might see someone using triaging in an ER or something like what's your level of pain? Where do you feel it? And so one is neutral and fine. Um, so that's where my number value is coming from. Yes. Yes. That is helpful. I want to switch gears a little yes. bit and mm-hmm. talk about once individuals are triggered, they yeah. oftentimes do feel at a loss. And so when they're in that moment, what are some practical suggestions that you offer to your clients yeah. when they're at home and they're in need of supports, they can engage on their own right then and there? You know, it, it, I, I'm going to offer my ideas, but I definitely want the listeners to go, that's not realistic, or that doesn't sound like something I can really do because I would never say it's prescriptive. It's a suggestion that could help. And I definitely don't want anyone to feel that they're failing if the ideas I'm giving do not fully respond to the pain, but some beginning pieces. um, And it really depends on, am I at home? Am I in a car? Am I at work? You know, am I in a social situation with other women? You know, so I think, you know, with other men that are friends of mine and, or am I camping? You know, I mean, so it could be like lots of different things. One of the things I really care about is a toolbox and the toolbox just helps with all the five senses. This is something that if you can create a toolbox at home and a toolbox 
that you can have in your car, a toolbox you can then separately create at the office. This is just something that tends to, I want to call the toolbox like a loving friend. It doesn't judge your reactions. It doesn't need you to even change how you feel. It just wants to lower the distress. So the, the, you know, taking it from the eight, nine, or 10, moving it towards the four five or six. And we hope obviously much lower, but I think it's important, you know, just to see it as a friend and, and the toolbox really is just addressing our senses because the body is recovering feelings, right. And pain or distress sense of threat. It's recovering that as a part of progressing and healing, which is so tough, which is so tough. And so I say like, we've got to look at what do you need to taste? What do you need to smell? What do you need to touch? What do you need to hear? What do you need to, so we've got taste, touch, smell, feeling, and there's a fifth one. I'm so sorry. I'm like blanking right now. Yeah. Taste, um, touch, smell, feel, smell, hear. Feel. And so here. I'm not sure which one. Yeah. Okay. Maybe sure when you missed oh, the first I round. Okay. <laughs> so, so one of my, um, so the toolbox is, can I plug in music, you know, at work that gives me a sense of calm. And I would love for people to really test their toolkit. Don't wait until you're like at that level 10 and, and cross your fingers and go, boy, I hope this works, yes. <laughs> you know, test it out. Like, some people hate peppermint. Some people hate spearmint. So we need to have a bubble gum. We need to have, you know, an orange gum. We need to have, so using a taste element that really makes you feel freed up and relaxed. Chewing gum is helpful because it just gives the body a place of release. Um, it's an activity, um, but it's also a taste. Also, some people have chosen things that kind of melt in their mouth, like, you know, raisinets or a milk dad, you know, or so they can hold the chocolate, taste the chocolate, then taste the raisin or the caramel. And then just noticing the mouth moving, you know, the substance and tasting all of the textures and so forth. This is this is a grounding event because it's a physical experience to be triggered. We want a physical response. Okay. Mm -hmm. We want a physical solution, not a head solution quite yet. Then um, something I can see can be a photo of my children or a photo of, you know, I found it on YouTube, like this beautiful sunset or this, um, you know, finding Google images of a forest or something that you can just quickly snap into your phone, but it's a screenshot. Um, and so we're just pulling ourselves in there and then maybe also having, not maybe, but the next thing is sound. What is a, you know, we have the sound, we have the image, we have the taste touch is a little strange in the sense, like maybe touch is just pressing your palms together. So you inhale, press, exhale, and you inhale with your hand, your palms together, kind of like you can do it like you're praying, or you can switch the palms around where the hands, the fingers are going in opposite directions. And that's your touch. You're chewing gum. I have essential oils as well for smell, but sometimes people feel like that minty gum, you know, that orange flavored, whatever it might be really helps with the, with the smell. And some people hold like tokens if, if they've had, you know, a token, like a seashell, or they have like someone gave them <clears throat> something 
like a locket or they can see that locket and go, okay, my grandmother loves me or something, you know, like mm-hmm. I've been thought of, I, there's, there's, that reminds me of a beautiful experience at the beach that reminds me of my, <clears throat> you know, something that makes them feel safe and loved in trauma work. We look for not how many days since the last time you were hurt, but how many days you felt safe since the last time you were hurt. Building safety into my day is very important. Tea is great. People feel like that can really center them. Coffee, that smell and taste is really helpful. But if I'm on the road, I can't access that maybe, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so traveling with your toolkit, having it like on your vacations, having it just, just caring enough to even hold, like, if in fact there is a concern, I have this, I have access to this. There's um, a lot of, you know, there are a lot of studies about people who they get a prescription for Xanax and they never use it, but they got the prescription for Xanax, which is a benzodiazepine that calms you immediately within like 10 to 15 minutes from a panic attack. And, and I'm not against if that is something that needs to happen, but psychologically similar to the toolbox, they don't have to use the Xanax because they know it's there. Mm-hmm. They don't have as much panic. Yes. So even if you're like, but I'm only using my toolbox, like once a year, is that normal? Yeah. Cause you, your body goes, she's got a plan. He's got a plan. So I don't need to get to 10. Right. That's one idea. Let's say I'm in a meeting and I'm like, people are talking over me and I'm getting dominated or my ideas are being stolen in a situation or, you know, someone's getting credit. Um, There's just, there's a great technique with regard to, again, palm pressing, but also putting your palms against your knees and just lifting your knee up a little bit. You can do this even when you're at a board meeting or something Mm -hmm. Um, and just pressing your palm against your knees. What that's doing is it's activating that core of the body, the psoas um, Mm -hmm. muscles, I think they're muscles and, Mm -hmm. and engaging the stomach a little bit, which helps the brain move into the torso. Okay. Uh, I need to try this while you're talking. Yeah. You can see me. So I'm like, okay, let's try this. Yeah. And then it's just kind of saying, okay, my body is real. My body Mm -hmm. is real. And then you're in the meeting and just go, okay, what are five things I'm noticing that I can see? What are four things I'm hearing? What are three things I'm smelling? Mm-hmm. What is one thing I'm tasting? One thing I'm, I'm feeling physically and the physical pushing the palms against the knees. There's also meridian tapping, which people have told me they do under the table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we'll talk about meridian tapping too. Going into your, the meridians are just acupressure points. That's all a meridian means. Mm-hmm. So it's not deep mindfulness. This is just going, okay, I have a real body, <laughs> but we're tapping um, the karate chop points. Uh, and you can do that underneath the table if you're talking mm-hmm. to someone, but you can also excuse yourself from the meeting and do all the tapping points in a bathroom stall. Mm-hmm. So people have told me they've done that. Um, or before a first date with someone, they've done tapping in the bathroom or in their car before they got out. 
And I have Meridian Tapping Process. That is a worksheet that's listed under resources on my website, maryellenman.com. You click on resources and then there's healing practices. Just click on that and you're going to see the document for Meridian Tapping. And it's harder to tie your shoes than it is to do Meridian Tapping. (laughs) So uh, because you're literally going through um, about 10 points on the body. So the top of the head between the eyes, on the temples, and you're doing 10 to 20 taps under the eyes here. So between the eyes, temples, under the eyes, under the nose, in the chin crease, Mm -hmm. at the clavicle, close to the clavicle and sternum, and then under the arms, Mm -hmm. like so. Now, I work a lot with sexually abused people. Um, They have been you know, the physical stuff can be triggering. Tapping can be triggering, uh, but 90% of my clientele is okay with it. But even then we just say, let's just go to the points that feel the most activating in terms of calming you down. So um, it's a non-medicine response. It gives you control. You can do this if you're stuck in traffic as well. You can do like the palm against the knees Um, you can do palm to palm presses. And the final one is you can do where you take the palm of your hand against your elbow and you're creating Mm -hmm. kind of a tension between the elbow going down and the palm resisting it. Mm -hmm. So the elbow going down and the palm resisting it. These are all things that help that amygdala in the back of the brain release from anxiety into the whole body. We want to unlock the anxious response. Mm-hmm. This is not about saying your anxiety is not important. It's just giving you some ideas so that your body can start to feel like it has access to helping you really. You're giving your body access to help you. Yes. And that's, it's so important because oftentimes we're getting triggered in a situation where mm-hmm. we, we have to respond in some way. Example, a response in a meeting mm-hmm. is I, I can excuse myself to go to the restroom, but I do need to return to this meeting. Yeah. So what can I do in those four or five minutes that I have that can yeah. help me until maybe I get home and I can process this more later, but I can't yeah. just really pr- fully process this now. So yeah. these are incredibly helpful suggestions. And yeah. I love that um, as much as I myself have loved using a, a lap weighted blanket at times, it's, it's mm-hmm. not great to use in a meeting. It's not great to, and it's right. heavy to lug around even the lap ones, you know, it weighs several yeah. pounds and yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's just very functional. Mm-hmm. Um, something I had suggested, um, recently, which was interesting when I was looking back, I'm like, gosh, I wish I had known this a few years ago, Mm -hmm. the idea of putting something, um, sour, like a sour patch or, um, like Mm -hmm. a lemon drop in your mouth. And Mm -hmm. that's something I've, I've been thinking like, oh, I should just keep those on me just in case, Mm -hmm. you know, to pop that in to be like, okay, yes, I'm here. It kind of like snaps you back. So same idea with, you know, the pepper thing. Perfect. I love that. And you know, and I, and I haven't done the more sour, bitter, I've done more Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. chocolate Mm -hmm. combo, you know? So yeah. And then I really think it comes in. Some people are like, I hate all things sugar. That's disgusting. So it would be a salt for you, you know, Mm -hmm. like something salty, like, um, just having those single packets of almonds that are like wasabi Mm -hmm. almonds or salt and vinegar almonds, or Mm -hmm. yeah, where they're, they're really letting themselves go. Okay. This is a taste that I like, Mm -hmm. I can feel it, notice it. My body, and here's the big thing I'm, I'm always going for your body is functional. Mm-hmm. 
and it wants to help you. Otherwise you couldn't taste, touch, see, smell, and hear. (laughs) So, and if I am talking with someone right now, who's like, I can't see, then I say, well, what can you hear? And your body wants to help you feel grounded and centered and in control. So I'm a big believer in the, we are built for power and love and a sound mind. We're Mm -hmm. built to be wise. We're built to feel in control. And so there's nothing wrong with moving in whatever the direction is that helps you regain control. And yes, in my office as a therapist, I have two types of weighted blankets. One's a 30 pound adult couch blanket. Mm-hmm. And I specify that just in case people are shopping, you can go to bed, bath and beyond. And I, and I hold no endorsement policies or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, but that's just one place. I think target sells them. Nordstrom rack sells them mm-hmm. um, online and let's see. And then I do a 15 pounder as well. Sometimes I'll add the 15 pounder just over the hips and stomach. And then I have the 30 pounder underneath. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a heating pad that also is, can be quite comforting and we can lower the heat and all those things. Some of my clients have been really hurt sexually. So they put the heating pad underneath their hips um, and, you know, the seat of the couch, and that has really helped them feel like, okay, my body is in a safe place. That's mm-hmm. soothing. So let's see. And I have essential oils um, and you can get them at gosh, like lots of retailers from whole foods and sprouts. And, and I don't know, I think Trader, I don't know if Trader Joe's cause West coast and I love Trader Joe's, but, um, I don't think they have them, but you can buy them online. There are of mm-hmm. course a lot of MLMs that like, you know, that sell mm-hmm. them. Yes. Um, but a lot of vitamin stores will have them and that's used in here. And of course, then I do EMDR brain spotting and other types of therapy techniques. So, um, but I was going to say, like, you mentioned something that's really good about like, okay, I've got to stabilize it work, but then I can process more later. I do believe in guided journaling because not because a person cannot quote, be trusted to journal just free flow. But a lot of times, you know, what went missing in cult experiences was the sense that I can trust my judgment. Right. And I can, I can totally know exactly what is going on. Right. And I just, to restore that, to create stepping stones, to restore that I have something called the resiliency protocol. That's a full journaling event. Mm -hmm. And that's also on my website and, and certainly tailor it. Like get rid of half of the stuff I suggest if it's not going to work for you, but it just offers some kind of guideposts, like mm-hmm. what's the event to what degree did it hurt you on a one to 10 scale? What are the emotions that come with that? You know, what mm-hmm. is the lie or old belief that comes with that? And then what does it normally cause me to do? Mm-hmm. But then we go into what we call the disputation, which is I'm going to dispute that con- the, the, this old way of thinking and doing and say, but is it true 24 seven that I'm always thinking this lie? Oh, 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 and generally we're like, well, you're sleeping, you're probably eating, you know, mm-hmm. so probably not. No. And then we say, so what is it that you want to know that would bring confidence and counter that lie? And that's where the money is. That's where people are like, oh, I want to know. I can trust my judgment. I am fine as I am. 
I'm lovable and worthwhile. Okay. So then it, the resiliency protocol goes into things like where can you imagine a safe place where those things are true? You have a protector, you have a nurturer in that safe place. The protector can be a bear and the nurturer can be your grandma or your grandpa. I don't know, like good people, mm-hmm. your best friend. It can be a fictional character. Mine's a fictional mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a place where those things can be true. How does that make you feel now? Otherwise we look at mastery. What are some times in your life where you've known I trusted my judgment and it worked, you know? Mm-hmm. So we look at mastery events. So it gives you a chance to really pull your concentration into a new wiring and the things that are firing are wiring. So if we're firing those ideas, then the wiring just does its own thing. It's a little bit like eating. We don't know how it happens that we eat food and it works, Mm -hmm. but um, we don't know how we sleep and it works, but this is the same idea. It just, it works. Those things start to go and become a foundational defense system that grounds you. I have mastered this. Mm -hmm. I am allowed to know I'm safe. I am allowed to feel content and relieved and strong and confident. And then we say, where do you feel that in your body? If you can't feel it, where would you like to feel it? And how true does it start to feel to you on a scale of one to 10? 10 is it's totally true and one it's not at all true. Mm-hmm. So it's a two. Okay. So you feel the two in your throat. You feel it behind your eyes. What color is with that? And it becomes, we're initializing, right? Where the body is creating all of these connections mm-hmm. and believe it or not, those connections will wake you up in a minute where you are getting an uncomfortable threat feeling. But because of that confidence, the body doesn't go to 10, it goes to six. Mm-hmm. And so, gosh, you know, language, we're built for language. We're built to connect dots. And it's a huge part of the gift of our intelligence. Um, but initializing it physically is where the magic is. Like language, what are, where is it in the body? How strong does it feel? True does it feel? What might you start to do now if you're in that situation again? Yes. You're writing and you're writing and you're writing. And I tell people, I would not be sitting before you today if two things didn't happen, that I read Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend and that I journaled all the time. I journaled every observation with no guide. I could have felt like a good shelf, you know, of journals Mm -hmm. with my journals for sure. So it's, that's that processing can also happen live with a therapist. It can be Mm -hmm. just the journal. It can be the spouse, the best friend. Before I I move on. Oh goodness. No, that's why you're you're here. You are feeling like you just drank from a a fire hose. I apologize. (laughs) Well, what's super helpful though, is that you have these, again, I'm going to put your website in the show notes. And so people can go back and they can pull this up and even Mm -hmm. look at it while they replay that portion and be able to, you know, see it in front of them, which I think is so helpful. And before I transition to our last question, I want to just go back and really highlight what you said about that we're not designed to be out of control. Like we are not, I am not designed to not have control over my body and my thoughts and my emotions. I am designed to be in control of those. So when I feel out of control, 
of any or all of those because I have been triggered, my initial step is to regain that sense of control. Then I can go back, like we said, and that's when we can then do the processing. That's where I can then be like, okay, I feel grounded again. I'm present in my body. I'm able to go through and see which thoughts were true, which ones are not act, do not actually apply to the situation what is my actual safety? Um, and I can mm-hmm. go through that process, yep. but I have to stabilize first. I can't do yeah. that in that moment. Just like if I were a 10 on the anger scale and most of my brain has shut off, you're not going to be able to have a rational conversation with me. If I am over the overwhelmed with anxiety, fear, um, some sort of trauma response from being triggered, I'm not going to be able to, to be calm. Obviously. I mean, it sounds silly, but we can expect that of ourselves sometimes. And it's, it's an unrealistic and unfair expectation of ourselves. And so in those moments, Mary Ellen, I love that you are sharing so many ways to really love ourselves and care Mm -hmm. for ourselves well. Mm -hmm. And that is our, our, it's the most important step because it's that first step. We can't really do any further, deeper work if we're not honoring that experience first. Yeah. So thank you. And I know that you and I are mutually huge proponents of support professionals. (laughs) We believe in them. We believe in them. Mm -hmm. We believe in finding good ones and we believe in finding Mm -hmm. good fits to even tailor that down further. So for anyone who is listening, um, I know that people in our audience, our listeners, they can feel concerned because of that trust component of who do I trust? Who do I go to? Who is safe? Um, What would you suggest for what they should be looking for and what are some first steps they can take in finding that person? Um, Gosh, first steps. I mean, it really, yes, I think that they, I want them to write down what they want to feel and what they want to get out of it. You know, what do I want to feel when I'm in their presence and what do I want to get out of this? And because people can list themselves as trauma specialists or, um, I don't know, this many years and and practice and so forth, which certainly does matter. And, but, but no matter what the description that they have found in like their search, that it is a, an investment of assessing wisely what is in fact Am I feeling safe and cared about? Am I feeling believed and supported? And is this person going to help me get more confident with my gut instincts? Because if you really do break down the trauma experience, systems that abuse, people that abuse and so forth, the victims of that are, I say, if I were to put it into a body experience or an um, example, it breaks their femur. The femur is your stabilizing bone, you know? So is, you know, so, and it takes like, you have to be in a wheelchair, you have to be pinned, you know, you can't put any weight on it for six. It's a very big event to have your gut instinct robbed, your ability to trust your instinct robbed from you. So will this person help me build my gut instinct again? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would look for licensed professionals because they're held mm-hmm. to an ethics standard, um, of care. And, and certainly, you know, we have to complete CEUs, which are continuing education units. Mm-hmm. We have to, um, pay for our license. We have to have had supervised hours, not just completing a master's degree, 
Um, so I care a lot about people who are licensed. I know people will go to life coaches sometimes, and I love life coaches for things like I need to get more organized. I need to understand my work goals, you know, maybe development at another. But when we're talking about trauma, I, I urge you to consider working with people who are seasoned in the work of trauma, who are trauma informed. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a word um, I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard of, but trauma informed care that conceptually was birthed into the mental health world somewhere around 10 years ago, and then really hit the scene in 2016, 17, 18, and on. And so let's make sure we're talking to people who are trauma-informed. And trauma-informed, the gut, the, the total core of it is they understand there's not something wrong with you. There's something that's happened to you. And they really help their client stay with that narrative. Like something's happened to you, not something is wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And so that gentle and compassionate, you know, model of care has to be in play for people to feel safe to heal. 